to lead into my sermon, if you will. Um, and the title of my sermon is Love Your City. Now, in our text, Jesus is looking at Jerusalem. And how many know Jerusalem is God's city? And so we draw parallels here between us and the heart of God. And Jerusalem itself, as we all know, is a city of great history, times of glory and times of peril and demise, times where God's Spirit was present like none other, and times where the people of the city were wicked like none other. But nonetheless, it's a city that has known glory and tragedy throughout the history of mankind. And Jesus is responding to his love for his city of Jerusalem. But what about us? Can we look our attention to our city or cities, if you will? We kind of live in a unique demographic where it's three cities, but it's all one city, but it's actually like six cities. But nonetheless... It is our city. No matter what you call it, Tri-Cities, Pasco, Columbia Basin, whatever, this is our city. And just like Jesus does in our text that we'll read in a moment, we should draw our attention to the brokenness of our cities. And we must let this brokenness move us to love and compassion rather than anger and, uh, and disappointment. So let's look at our text this morning, Luke chapter 19, verse 41 through 48. It says, And when he, he being Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, What that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold, who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words." So this morning, I want to preach a sermon entitled, Love Your City. Let's pray. Father God, help us, Lord, this morning, God, by your spirit, God, that you would help us, God, that you would minister to us, God, that you would supernaturally change the nature of our hearts, and God, that you would develop within us, God, a love and compassion for our city. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see in our text Jesus' heart broken for the condition of Jerusalem. And in today's day and age, there's a lot of anger generated in our culture, right? There's, there's societal battles within it. There's racial tension. There's the, the different uh, classes of society that tend to 
stand against each other. And it ultimately grabs our attention, right? We see the, the issues between this people and that people or those over there and those over here or, or whatever it is. And it becomes so easy to be upset about the condition of our culture. And how many know it's always a lot easier to get upset about something than it is to rejoice, right? We, we talk a lot about the bad days or the hard times or the conflict of the issues, but something good happens. God moves in powerful ways, and we tend to give a little, oh, praise God, and then move on, right? It's part of our human nature. We fixate on negativity. But here we see the heart of Jesus before Jerusalem weeping over a city that has a history of rejecting God, right? It's God's city, his chosen people. But you read through the Old Testament and Israel is mostly not so good. (laughs) God cries out to them time and time again through prophet after prophet. But history shows that they as a people rejected God more than they accepted God. And our text gives an insight to the heart of Jesus and his love for this city despite these things. Luke 9, 19 from our text, verses 41 and 42, it says, And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, What that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. The words that it uses to describe Jesus' emotion, wept over his city, is a word in the Greek called kaleo, and it expresses a violent emotion. And I don't, you know, we don't have the live action of what took place, but you almost imagine Jesus coming down the hill to Jerusalem, and he sees his city, and he just falls to the ground, weeping for a broken people. I was speaking with, um, some time ago, Pastor Jason Rice and his wife Naomi, and we were having dinner together with, right, before we, right after we had actually just met them. Now they're missionaries in South Africa. But they were, te- they were telling me this story about how when they got married, Jason, he, Pastor Jason, he wanted to go out and he wanted to pioneer. But Naomi, she did not. She wasn't interested. She wanted to be a a pillar, right? A pillar in the church. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But they obviously had conflicting interests or callings, if you will. But she confessed that it was ultimately her resistance to God's call in her life. But she said that all changed one day when they were taking off on a flight to conference out of the city of Portland, which is where they pioneered originally, Beaverton technically, but it's basically Portland, And she looked out her window and she saw a city and God broke her heart for that city. As she looked over that city, God spoke to her heart and said, those people need the gospel. Who will go? And she said in that moment, she realized that she must go. She must answer the call. God broke her heart for a city. Jesus' heart was broken for Jerusalem. Is our heart broken for the Tri-Cities? 
this word, it speaks of a violent emotion. And it's kind of hard to imagine Jesus acting that way, right? You would imagine he's always composed and put together and, and always just, you know, straight up about his business. But we can only, the best we can do is imagine what this might have looked like. For I mean, obviously it's not like violence, like we think of violence like punching people. He didn't obviously start punching people. But he probably fell to the ground and began to weep because his heart broke for his city. And he understands something. That their rebellion against God will take them to a place that they do not want to go. And we look at our city and we see rebellion. You know, we see kids running the street who think they're gangbangers just because they spray-painted the new wall going over to Pasco and from Kennewick to Pasco. They think they're this, they think they're that, and, and they're so blind to the way that they're living that they don't realize the destruction that they're headed for. And like Christ, can we have our hearts, instead of looking at them and calling them little thugs, can we look at them and call them little lost people, lost souls who need the love of Jesus Christ? You see, we tend to get away. We tend to get a certain way. We tend to get on a high horse. We tend to look at people and forget that we used to be just like them. And some of y'all might be saying, listen, Pastor, I, I'm, I was never in a gang. I never spray painted no one. No, I'm not talking about just like them in that way. I'm talking just like them, like lost in your soul and headed to hell. We used to be just like that. And just as Christ looked upon us, you and I, at, with a broken heart, desiring that we would turn to him, he now wants us to look to those people with the same emotions. Jesus understood their rebellion wasn't just causing people pain, but was going to cause them eternal pain. Luke 19, 43 through 44 from our text says, For the days will come upon you, he's speaking to Jerusalem, when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Think about this. This is a prophecy from Jesus Christ, and this prophecy came true. It wasn't long after Jesus ascended into heaven that the nation of Israel got completely wiped off the map. No longer a country, no longer existing as a nation, but taken over by other countries and the people were dispersed. And Jesus says, why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Think about that. This is a nation full of people long awaiting the coming of their Messiah. And here he is, and they reject him. And he says right here, because you did not know. Think about that. Imagine if they, if they embraced Christ. What could have been for Israel? What could have been for that nation? Imagine. These people who run the streets or the high and lofty people who are making six figures at Hanford, but they're dying in their sin and everybody in between. But just imagine what could come of their lives. 
if they knew the time that they were living in, if they knew the Christ that died for them. You see, it was despite the outrages that these people committed, and you read through the Old Testament, and Israel did some crazy, wicked stuff. But it was despite these things, Jesus still had a broken heart for his city. Luke 13, verse 34, a few chapters previously, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Think about this. You're about to get some fire and brimstone from Jesus after this, right? But this is what he says. How often I wanted to gather your children together as hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. Think about this. This is an interesting image. Jesus, the, the, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to. Who are those? Those are God's people. Those are God's children, the prophets of old, the ones who God sent. He said, I sent these people to you because I love you. I sent these people because I want you to repent, and you killed them. But I want to embrace you. Like a mother hen. It's kind of funny, like Jesus calls himself a mother hen. Like we just, Sometimes we just read a text like that and go, huh, that's kind of weird, and then move on, right? But we don't think about the image it creates. What does that look like? Why does Jesus use that terminology? Well, because a mother hen will cover her chickies with her wings and protect them from danger. Protect them from the issues around them, the things around them that want to consume them, the things in this moment, and more importantly, for eternity. You see, we might expect, as we read a text like this, He's talking about how Jerusalem, they've killed the prophets and the people that he sent to them. We might expect a statement like that to be followed up with, now you guys are going to get it. Fire and brimstone, here it comes, baby. Right? That's what we would do. God sees these prophets as his own children. Imagine you sending your children to a city and then they kill them. Go, go to this city, tell them about Jesus. Right? That's what we do when we launch people out at, at conference. Imagine sending your own children there with a message and they reject the message and not only that, they murder your children. <laughs> yeah, if we had the fire and brimstone, they'd get all of it. Right? But that's not the heart of God. He sent them there because he loved them. And that love didn't change when they rejected them. So we might expect him to have wrath. And you know what, Israel, they, they did get some punishment a time or two. Like a father chastens his son. So God chastens those who he loves. But ultimately, it was all from a place of compassion and, and love for his people. Our hearts need to follow the heart of Jesus for our city. Jesus Christ, he, every single person in this place and outside of this place, he loves far more than we could ever be capable of. And we need his heart to change our heart to love these people. And yes, there can be frustrations. There can be difficulty. There can be struggles as we try to reach our city. But something about keeping our hearts right 
towards our city is necessary, that we can look at these people not as our problem, but as our mission field, that we can embrace it just as God did. Can we be moved by the needs around us? Are we more angry or frustrated than we are burdened for our city? And then, of course, there's always the good old busyness and stress of life, right? We're, we're busy. We got stuff going on. We all do, right? We got people, to, we got a family to feed. And we begin, because of these things, to struggle to maintain a heart for our city. A desire to get out and reach our city. How do we speak about our city? How do we pray about our city? Can we use these things? Can we change these things in our lives to develop a love for our city? You see, we must keep our heart clean before our mission fields. We might have lots of different ones, like our family, our church. Like those are, we all have those as like our, our main mission fields. But how many know our church, part of that mission field extends into our city? Part of that desire to see our church grow requires us to go and get people to come in. You see, but we face problems that over time, as we labor for God, we might be doing the right things, but with the wrong heart. The people in the temple that, that Jesus drove out were doing a necessary work, but with a wrong heart. He comes into the temple and uh, uh, the the way another gospel documents it, that he made a whip and fashioned a whip and whipped, drove the people out. These people were doing a necessary temple duty, but with the wrong heart. Historians uh, say, or, or biblical historians rather, say that what was taking place here is these people, the money changers, what, what they were doing wasn't wrong, it was how they were doing it. You see, the point was that those who did not work in a, in a field that with a bunch of sheep that they could pick from to bring in for a sacrifice, the idea was that they could come in and purchase an animal for the rituals that were going to take place. But over time, they began to jack up the costs. People who did come in with animals, they would say, no, that animal's got too many blemishes. It ain't going to work. You're going to have to buy one of ours. They began to change it from a service to a business and a dishonest one at that. You see, it started as something righteous, but over time their hearts changed. And the house of God was filled with people whose hearts weren't right before God and right before the people. They should have been doing their city a service. But instead, as Jesus called it, they were robbing the people. And Jesus, as we've talked about, loves his city and he wants his house to be clean, right? Of course he does. So we must take seriously the testimony of God within our house and uh, uh, the house of God and within the city. And we read in the text, verses 45 through 46, it speaks, Jesus, it says, He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. 
He's reminding them, or at least attempting to remind them, you guys have lost the picture. You've lost sight of the vision. You have forgotten the purpose that you were put here for. See, our hearts can become cluttered with different things, different elements of life, attitudes, sins, carnality that will accumulate within us over time until eventually Christ comes in to our hearts and drives, has to drive some things out. You see, we can be doing the right things but have lost the real purpose of why we do them. This is something we can be very prone to. The more we serve God, it becomes ritual. It becomes something we do until, Lord, God forbid, becomes something we use to take advantage of people. This is why we must always be checking our hearts. We, you know, it, it goes a long way if we check our hearts before, before we get to the point where Christ comes in with a whip. <laughs> Trust me. We can ask ourselves, how am I viewing my efforts? Do I look at it as drudgery, obligation, things I have to be doing? How am I viewing my brothers and sisters? Am I irritated by them? Are they getting to me? To, to, are they getting to me for really no reason other than me? That's another story. If they're getting you because of them, you talk, talk to them. Have a good Christian conversation. Ask yourself, how am I viewing the future? You know, sometimes we, we look at our futures and we feel like there's no hope as individuals and as a, as a church. You know, it's one of the challenges of being part of a pioneer work is sometimes you go through these stretches where no visitors come in and you think, man, is this place ever going to be something? That's a, trust me, y'all. <laughs> I've, I've been sitting here on a Sunday morning wondering if we were going to have a Sunday morning. And like I said on the last night of service, you know, we tend or last night of revival, we tend to get in our heads things that aren't true. You know, we we like I said we've doubled in size since the last time we had Frankie G here. And then Leah said, "Well, better come back next week or next month. <laughs> if we double every time he comes back, bring him on back." But sometimes it takes time, right? But, but we tend to lose sight of that, right? We begin to think about the immediate, about the here and now, and we begin to feel hopeless and feel like we aren't going to amount to anything. Or us as individuals, as, as one person, as we be, try to pursue God and we try to look for the things of God and we begin to lose sight of how far we've come. And if you forget about how far you've come, you'll never, you'll never see how far you can go. Like we, we have these visions that God gives us, these ideas, these, the will that he places upon our lives, and we think, man, I'm never going to get there. And it's because we forgot that he got us to where we are and where we came from. And sometimes we have to remember, man, if he got me this far, <laughs> he can do a little bit more. But it takes time. How am I viewing God Sometimes we get a bad view of God. Sometimes we forget His nature. Sometimes we feel like He doesn't care about us, about our life. Sometimes we feel like He takes more than He gives. He gives and takes away. And we're all like, He takes away and takes away. 
You know, something I preached about a while ago about, about the, the, the parable about the man who gives his servants talents as he leaves town. He gives them five and then uh, two and then one. And he comes back and, and the guy with one says, well, I knew you to be a hard master, so I took your talent and buried it so that I could give you what was yours when you came back. And of course, the master in the story is resembling God himself. And some people honestly read that story and they go, wow, well, yeah, God is kind of hard, I guess, if that's what that guy says. But no, that guy has a wrong view of God. Sometimes our view of God, who he is and what he wants to do, can become twisted. Sometimes when he takes things from us, he's giving us far more than we realize. But we must check our hearts. We must continually be asking ourselves, where, how am I doing in this area? How am I viewing this? The things that God loves, our city, the things that God cares about, our ministry, the people around us, how do I feel about those things? Am I looking at them as Christ looks at them? Or even worse, people can actually fight against what God wants to do. That's what we see take place in our text in verse 47. It says, And Jesus was teaching daily in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. Newsflash, as we desire to do work for God, there will be people who desire to tear that work down. That's just the way it goes when you have enemies. And when you work for God, you've got an enemy. But what's interesting to think about is Jesus is teaching daily in the temple. And who is it that's coming against him? It's the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men, the people within the temple, the very people who should be setting the pace and the example for the people. But instead, they're coming against the work of God that the people are clinging to. And the efforts of Jesus within his house within his city, causes a violent reaction. Listen, if they can reject Jesus, they'll reject us. And that's okay. There will be people who come against us. There, listen, church, as, as we grow and as things go on, there will be people within these very walls that come against exactly what we're doing. And we must keep our heart right towards the house of God and to the city that he's placed us in because we need Christ's heart created within us. Because our heart is good for nothing. Because sometimes we can be doing the right things. We can, coming, we can be coming into the house of God and we can be going out on outreaches and we can be putting on the concerts and we can be doing all the events, but our heart is not right before the city. Look at Jonah. One of the most well-known stories of the Bible, at least in the church world and the sec even people in the secular world have heard the story of Jonah. But it really usually doesn't go much beyond him getting swallowed by a whale and spit back out and then going and preaching to, this, to a city. 
But when you read the story of Jonah, you see God call him to Nineveh, and he goes, uh-uh, no way, not only am I not going to go, I'm going to go the opposite direction. You look at a map, Nineveh and Tarshish, they're opposite. He was here, Nineveh's there, Tarshish is there, and he wanted to go that way. He said, no way, no how. Why? Because the city of Nineveh was full of wicked people that Jonah didn't like. God called Jonah to a city, and he said, nope, my heart ain't for that city. No way. And of course, we know the story. He gets swallowed by the whale. He repents within the belly of the whale, and God has the whale spit him out, or big fish, whatever translation you want to, we don't know. But and then he spits, spits him out on the shore, and then he goes, all right, fine, I guess I'm going to Nineveh. And he goes to Nineveh. He preaches to the people. He says, you guys are are going to be destroyed by the wrath of God, so repent while you have the chance. And they repent, and because of their repentance, God relents from his wrath. Praise God. That's what he does for you and I. You know that, right? Because of their repentance, God relents from his wrath that he was going to pour out upon this city. But if you read the end of the book of Jonah... Ninevites are happy. They're all saved. They're all right with God. They've repented. God's, of course, overfilled with joy. He's always full of joy when people get saved. And Jonah is over here pitching a tent on the hillside waiting for the fire to come from the sky because he says, these people are still deserving it. And he, the, the documents, he has an argument with God. God's like, Jonah, does it do you good to be angry like this? And you know what he says? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Think about this. God's heart for that city was repentance and grace and mercy. And Jonah said, no, they deserve to burn. Wow. Think about how our heart can be. I pray that our hearts never get that way, that we don't even want to go outreach in certain areas of town because they're like, ah, that's where all the people who deserve to go to hell live. <laughs> you know what's funny is you can make a statement like that and different areas of town pop into people's minds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the other funny part about it is the demographic within those towns probably very different from person to person. You might think of the low and low lives, if you will. Or you might think of the hoity-toities who have everything we wish we had, but they're still living unrighteously. And everybody in between. Think about this. One of the greatest revivals documented in the history of the world took place in Nineveh. That city was huge, and they were as wicked as they were huge. And the entire city, including the king down, repents of their sin, and Jonah says they should still burn. Think about that. Is it a heart like that towards our own city that will hold back revival in our town? That the very people who God wants to use to be vessels of the gospel to this city are the ones who say, no, they don't deserve the gospel. We're damning people to hell when we say stuff like that. But yet, here we are with the gospel within us. Somebody didn't say that about you. You see, this is our hope in the text. 
that just as Jesus cleansed the temple, he drove the people out. That we're turning his house into a den of thieves or robbers. He is also able to come into our hearts and cleanse us. He's able to come into our lives and change our hearts. Because you know what? Without the heart of Christ, we can very easily go into our city and find a lot of people that we don't like. And find a lot of people that are doing things that we don't like. And find a lot of people who we think deserve this or deserve that or whatever in that way or the other way. But the question is, what is our response to those things that we find in our city? Is it that we wish the wrath of God would come upon them? Or is it that we wish that the grace of Jesus Christ would come upon them? Is it that our heart breaks for the lost people in our city? Is it that our heart turns, even causing us to violent emotions like Jesus felt, to where we can't stand but see people broken in their sin and desire to tell them about Christ, to give them a second chance, just as we once received? You see, Jesus had a heart for his city, and he had a heart for his father's business ever since he was a kid. You know the story when he was, him and his parents, they went into town, and, and they left town with their you know, group of people, and they get a couple days away from town. They're like, hold up. Where'd Jesus go? Anybody seen Jesus? He's like 12. That's what most scholars believe. He's somewhere around the age of 12. Where's Jesus? Like, okay, I got a 10-year-old. We're traveling. I get three days into my travel. I'm like, where's Aaliyah? Where's Jesus? So they turn back around and they go and find him. And they find him in the temple. And he's asking questions to the priests. And he's answering questions. And they're all blown away by his understanding of scriptures. And his parents show up and they say, hey, why'd you do this to us? Why didn't you come with us when it was time to leave? And his response is, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? You know, it's interesting. What 12-year-old could get away with a statement like that to their parents? But it's almost as if he's saying two things. Listen, don't you know I need to be in the house of God? You remember who I am, right? What the angels told you before I was even born? But at the same time, he's also saying, don't you know the destiny that God's put on my life? Of course I'm not in danger. I'm not going to get killed as a 12-year-old, right? <laughs> Too soon. That's, another, that's just a side thought. But he was always about his father's business. He was always about what he came to do. And it was to set a wicked generation free. And we see, as he comes into this city, the very same, those emotions that overwhelm him as he goes into this city, he drives out the money changers. And then what does it say right after that? Verses 47 and 48 says, And he was teaching daily in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find 
they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. You see, even though there's people who wanted to stop what he was doing, he was still accomplishing what he came to do. There were people resisting. There were people plotting to take his life. But then there were people, as this text says, were hanging on his words. Think about this. Sometimes we're afraid to get up and speak to people because of the Pharisees, because of the people who will mock you, because of the people who will say things to you, because of the people who will speak bad about or whatever. Like They literally wanted to kill Jesus. You're not going to do much in America that's going to get you killed over your faith. But Jesus wasn't worried about them. He was worried about the people who actually wanted to listen. There was resistance, but there was also people, as this text says, were hanging on his words. They had hope through his words. And it was through these words that he spoke to the people that he desired to see his temple cleansed by cleansing the people within it. You see, Jesus wants to cleanse us, cleanse our people, cleanse our hearts. What does the New Testament say? Uh, Your body is a temple. Jesus was in a physical temple, but he wants to come into our heart as a temple, and he wants to drive some things out. But he also wants to bring some life. He also wants to restore our hearts. John 6, 63 Jesus says it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and our life. The words of Christ bring life to us, to our temple of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, he gave his life for these people and for you and I on the cross so that our hearts could be cleansed and transformed so that he could get some stuff out of these temples. Because we spent a long time cluttering them up. But it's through the work of his blood and the work of the spirit that will clean them up. And we come with our hearts submitted to him, surrendering to him. Listen, it's easier, trust me, it's, it's harder for the ego and the pride, but it's easier in the long run to submit and surrender to the, to the ways of God instead of having him come into our temple with some whips to drive some things out. There's two ways it can be done. I can tell you, we've, if you've been saved for some time, you'll probably experience both ways. And your experience will tell you one way is a little bit more pleasant than the other. But we need... Jesus' heart reproduced within us. We need his heart reproduced within us to where we get driven to the same emotions he does when we see our city, when we look at the people walking the streets, when we look at different neighborhoods, when we look at different areas. We don't just see houses with people in them, but we see a community lost in their sin, desperately needing the love of Jesus Christ just as we once did. And still do. You see, Jesus, as he was crucified, they took him outside of the city. 
The people within the city that he loved, that he cared about, took him outside of the city, crucified him, but he was raised from the dead within the city. And we must love our city so that we can experience the resurrection of our city. See, maybe we've experienced rejection. Maybe we've experienced trials and tribulations to the point to where we kind of look at our city with resentment. We look at this, at this place that we call our home as a place full of bad memories and experiences. But if we can have Christ reproduce his heart within us, we can experience resurrection of life in our city. Not just for us, but for the people out there. You see, speaking of Jerusalem, he came and he cleansed the temple. He says, you made my house a den of thieves. My house is supposed to be a house of prayer. But then we see as God's spirit moves that Jerusalem became a house of prayer as the disciples prayed in the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell and we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit take place and we see souls saved. And ultimately, no matter what we see in our city, we're looking towards new Jerusalem, heaven, our true home. You see, just as much as we may like or dislike our city, we need to be looking forward to our heavenly home in New Jerusalem. And we need to be telling people in this broken city that, listen, this isn't the end. This isn't our final destination. No, we are waiting for a new Jerusalem, for a new home, and you can be there too. We can look at all that is broken within us, within our cities. And we can look at it not as a problem, but something that can be gloriously restored by God through revivals sweeping across this land. And most importantly, people making eternal choices for Christ. As we believe in a destiny for our city, not in this city, but in New Jerusalem. That we can all make heaven our home. And that we can see things take place in our lives, in our church, and in our city. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.